you got your uh, M2 MacBook Pro in yet? Oh yeah, de- I definitely ordered that machine because it's it's better than your MacBook Pro with a with an M1 Max you in know, it, right? That is kind of, in, <laughs> in some select cases that is true. Yeah. That is true. The single core performance is faster, right? Yeah, and if you're only doing single core single core tasks, theory it'll be quicker, but not for what I'm mostly like for for day to day tasks. Mm-hmm. The M1 is going to be fast enough anyway, right? So you're not going to notice. Like a, in some real world tests, I saw the like someone did like a, a, a short video export and it was like two seconds faster compared to the yeah. year before. If you're doing like serious, you know, like like YouTube editing, you can definitely do it on that machine. It will be faster than the equivalent, but it wouldn't be faster than my machine because the GPU is better multi core, right? So the, as soon as you go into like higher end tasks, the higher end tasks are generally the things that can take advantage of more than one you know more than one core and so the extra core counts on the m1 pro and m1 max win out but yeah if there are definitely tasks that this entry level m2 MacBook pro can beat my like four grand laptop from so <laughs> that's the march of progress i guess yeah. um but i you know i'm happy with it i'm cool and uh I, this basic kind of what i expected like I, I wasn't expecting the m2 year to be like a giant leap forward sure. uh, i think we might see a bigger jump whenever they do the um three nanometer or the four nanometer process shrink right which could be uh, variants of m2 according there to- has been rumors yeah. of that yeah that maybe the m2 pro and m2 max will come like at the end of the year and they'll ship in macbook pros i'm not sh- i'm not convinced about that yet and the, the rumors and reporting of that haven't been like super solid so we'll see but if that let's say if that happened maybe then i would be more more bummed out <laughs> a bit because only one year later i think Going to three nanometer would make a huge, make it like a thirty percent difference rather than like a five to ten percent difference. Yeah, don't, don't be sad. It's okay either way. I'm not sad. I'm happy. like I'm going easy. This M1 Max machine I've got it will last me five years easy. Easy, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy. It's so fast. Like you wouldn't half the time when it's doing complicated work, you wouldn't even realize it. It's, the M1 generation, whether you're talking about the base models or the higher end models, they're all amazing machines yeah yeah so what's new this week is that um the m2 macbook pro has been shipping to actual customers and i'm like customers maybe i just mean people reviewing them that didn't receive review units i don't know but actual customers i guess somebody's buying them but <laughs> yeah yeah you know but yeah you're right it's generally the the non-apple invited review crowd now have their impression yeah and i know our old pal sonny dixon he he, he bought one and uh because he was like one of the first to receive one based on being in Australia. But uh, yeah, and, and because the ones that are being purchased are not the souped up versions that, that you get as a review unit, then there's sort of some new information about here. So if you have the base model storage, there was kind of a revelation about the SSD speed this week. What was that all about? Yeah, so as a reminder, base storage on the M2 MacBook Pro is 256 gigabytes. I mean, that's a whole conversation itself. Maybe it should be time for Apple to move to 512 base across the board. But anyway, there's a 256 gigabyte base, which is the same as the M1 MacBook Pro last year. However, uh, these uh, YouTube hands-on, these testings, found that they were using the Blackmagic disk speed test, and they found that the M2 MacBook Pro had a read speed of about 1,500 megabits per second and a write speed of 1,500 megabytes per second, compared to about 2,900 read on the M1 MacBook Pro and about 2,000 writes on the M1 MacBook Pro. So on read speed, approximately halved, not too far off on write speed either. This only applies to the 256 gigabyte model. If you go to higher storage tiers, the performance is identical to the last year's model. So 
it's not because Apple has like cheaped out and given the base model like cheaper SSDs that run slower. The actual NAND chips that are being used are the same speed and the same performance as what they used in the previous year. But what they what's happened now is that in the last generation, the base model M1 MacBook Pro and the M1 MacBook Air would have two NAND chips on the board. They'd have two 128-gigabyte NAND chips, which would obviously appear to the system as 256-gigabyte NAND chips. Um, but because you had two of them, the writes and reads could happen more in parallel. On the M2 MacBook Pro, there is no longer a 128-gigabyte NAND chip in there. It's just a single 256-gigabyte chip. And then similarly, if you go up to five, the 512 storage, you then get two 256s or you know four or or two 512s, et cetera, et cetera. But on that very, very base model, the minimum size that Apple's sourcing now for these NAND chips is 256. So there's only one of them in the MacBook Pro, which means that read speeds and write speeds are affected because when they are in, when you do have two of them on a board, you can do better parallelization and get data from diff- different places at once and write data to different places at once. Um, but no, but for for whatever reason, maybe supply chain, maybe that they just stopped making 128 gigabyte NAND chips that Apple wanted. Now the base the base model just comes with a single 250 gigabyte chip inside, which is a you know definitely a, a thing to that's noteworthy and that it you know made sense to write articles about it and stuff. I don't think it's like a a huge deal in the scheme of things. Like it, yes, it is kind of annoying that if you buy the M2 MacBook Pro or very much likely the M2 MacBook Air because I doubt it's any different on on that model if you're buying the base model storage size you're going to get slower SSDs in the previous year for the kind of tasks that you're going to do on those machines I don't think the read and write speeds will have a significant impact like if I was buying one of these computers I wouldn't be choosing I wouldn't be avoiding 250 gigabyte storage because of the slower speed I'd probably be avoiding 250 storage just because I'd want more storage in my laptop, you know. But the the read and write speed difference, obviously, it's always nice to have as fast as possible. But for the kind of things you're doing on a you know base model laptop, half the speeds is not going to make a. I don't think it's going to make a massive difference in day to day use. Again, if you're doing heavy video work, if you're doing heavy high bandwidth work, going to be slightly worse. But if you're doing that stuff, you're probably going to get higher than the base model anyway. So, like, I don't want to, like, dismiss it as a completely pointless thing because it is an interesting thing to note. Mm-hmm. And it does make a difference. Like, you know, it's going to be, in real-world terms, 10% slower maybe uh, uh, in certain tasks and stuff. But, like, it is true that most people buying the base model MacBook Airs, they're browsing the web, they're using messages, they're doing Twitter, they're doing that kind of stuff, right? They're doing Word documents and Office and that kind of productivity, maybe Google Docs and stuff, all of that stuff. It's going to make no difference whatsoever if the read speeds are slow. The read speeds and write speeds matter when you're doing big file moving around or a lot of I.O. at once. So if you're doing like Xcode compilations, maybe there's some impact because it, when you're doing like an, uh, an Xcode build, there's a lot of files that are being moved around and and, and, read, and read. It's hard to say that. A lot of things <laughs> that have been read and written to at the same time. Similarly, if you're doing video work or maybe big like Photoshop work and you've got big projects and big files, again, it's going to make some difference. But you have to remember like, you're talking about gigabits per second here. So you need a lot of input data for a halving of read speed to really show up, like 4K video, for instance, and doing like common editing on it. So it's definitely a thing to note, but I don't think it's like a scandal. It's just an interesting like quirk. And I don't think Apple's done this as like a cost-saving measure. I'd imagine the costs between doing 
two 128s versus one 256 is probably about the same to them. In fact, it might be slightly more expensive to do it this way around. Um, but it's just what the supply chain had available to ship. That would be my guess. Maybe it is cheaper for them. And, uh, but I think the only thing that you can really criticize Apple for here is that on the website, it didn't mention anywhere that the base model would have slower speeds. And given that it is halved, I guess somewhere on the website, maybe in a footnote somewhere, they probably should have noted that if you get the base model, you only get slower speeds. Sure. So on this particular case, I don't think I'm going to like, you know, get super mad about it or anything. It's just an interesting footnote, I guess. If it was yeah, only the MacBook Pro, it would be a bigger deal than if it was both the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air. Because we love the MacBook Air, we don't want to make too big of a deal about it. That's what I'll say. And, and I'll say. Yeah, and we don't know for sure yet that the MacBook Air is not affected by this, but it most likely is, because why would they not share the components like that? So yeah. there you go. And one thing in general on read-write speeds, I would say, Apple has fallen behind the leading Windows laptops at the high, high end uh-huh. in terms of read-write speeds. With the introduction of PCI 4 on Windows, you can get like 7 gigabyte read speeds on high-end Windows laptops now. If you look at like my MacBook Pro, like a high-end MacBook Pro, you get about five gigabyte read speeds. Mm. So, if you want to, if you want to criticize anything, it's at the high high end. There isn't even an option from Apple right now to to match the lead the bleeding edge of theoretical SSD performance. Maybe that'll be something that comes along in the M2 Pro generation, for instance, or maybe next year or something. But uh, that is something where if you're if you're actually looking for high 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 end workflows, you want the best of the best, and Apple right now does not actually offer it on terms of the SSD speed maximums. Hmm. All right. Um, the other sort of funny thing this week was, you know, I think you and others noticed that uh, on the, the packaging for the MacBook Pro, I know our friend Parker Ordolani had, had seen that they had this, they didn't even bother to make a new uh, wallpaper for the, for the M2 MacBook Pro, and he was upset about that. Um, but I, I think there's a pretty good explanation for that, which is something that you pointed out today. What, what is that? Yeah. So I saw this on MKBHD video. Some other people have seen it as well, but I saw it on his video first. And basically, the boxes, they're reusing the M1 boxes. So they've just taken an M1 box because, like you say, it has the same wallpaper on the picture on the front. And then on the back, where it has a little spec sheet, they're just, they're just printing a new sticker and sticking it down over the top. So you can actually get an M2 MacBook Pro box, peel back the top layer of the sticker and see the specs of an M1 generation <laughs> underneath. It's that it just it reminds me of, you know, the, the memes people will make that, you know, Apple could sell the same iPhone and just change the number and people would buy it. It's like that, but they <laughs> just change the M1 to M2. But I mean, at, at a more serious level, it's just kind of weird that they had these excess boxes laying around made for more MacBook Pros than they were selling, I guess. And but- and I have seen this happen from time to time on like accessories. So like you buy a, a watch band and if you peel back the sticker, you can find out that it was originally sold in like 2018 and they just updated the sticker because it's been sitting around for a while or it was like meant for the US and then they've just put a European sticker on it and stuff. But this is the first time I've seen it for like what I would call Apple's like court product lines, you know, like the stuff you're paying $1,000 plus for. Yeah. Um, and apparently uh, in the response to this tweet, some people said that they did this with the M1 generation as well compared to the Intel ones. But I don't really understand how that'd be possible because the M1s all had different wallpaper on them so you know unless they were sticking stickers over the image on the front which i don't think was going on i'm not sure that's correct maybe i'm wrong but this is the first time i've seen apple do this on like boxes <laughs> and i guess it's good for the environment because they're not wasting anything but like you said maybe if they'd have also just had like better inventory management they wouldn't have to have excess boxes in the first place so again not a huge scandal it was just a funny little thing and it just adds to the pile of like the m2 MacBook pro just being like a 
a machine uh, like a made of binned parts of just recycle the parts that we've got we'll keep on selling it here's a touch bar and hey look here's the same boxes well. <laughs> i like the idea of, of you getting a hold of an m1 macbook pro somehow and you not getting a box at all it's just in the little white baggie that it comes with <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i presume the m2 macbook air will have a brand new box in it. <laughs> i presume too it looks a little bit yeah. different and it does have custom wallpaper, so that's a good that's a good indicator. I think even on the M2 Mavic Pro, the model number Apple uses, like that A and then a bunch of numbers, that's identical to the M1 generation, even though the process is different. So they've really gone all out and just recycling as much as they can to keep it cheap, I guess, and keep the, the churn down. Very efficient. This week, Happy Hour is brought to you by MindNode. Have you experienced a sudden rush of ideas spontaneously? Perhaps you're on a walk or listen to a podcast and you start to become distracted or even just excited by your own thoughts. Ideally, you need somewhere to jot everything down and capture that moment before it's gone. This is where MindNode comes in. MindNode is the most delightful mind mapping and outlining, outlining app for your Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch. And because it's available on all of your Apple devices, you'll always be prepared when inspiration strikes. Mind mapping is a great tool to gather your thoughts and visualize them figure out connections and plan efficiently to achieve your goals you can also capture everything as an outline useful for linear note-taking and all of your content is instantly mirrored as a mind map whatever the project redesigning the kitchen or developing a new app map out what you need and note down everything you need to make it happen mind maps are also great for writing plan the structure of your next story article or game gather all the characters facts anecdotes and challenges in one place and keep expanding out with new details, requirements, or thoughts visually. Each node can have attached notes, links, images, file attachments, tags, connections, and you can even put on one of MindNode's 250 custom stickers to make them stand out. And you can fold away entire branches of your MindMap to hide sections out of view, or use focus mode to stay concentrated on just one branch, the stuff that is most relevant to you right now. MindNode is a native app across macOS, iPadOS, and iOS, taking advantage of platform features like dark mode, scribble on iPad using Apple Pencil, and more, of course, with seamless cross-device sync. You can even sync tasks to the Apple Reminders app. MindNode has been recognized by Apple with Editor's Choice and App of the Day features in the App Store, and you can get it right now for free. Just download it from the App Store on iPhone, iPad, and Mac. Try MindNode today and get started on your next great idea. That's MindNode. Search for M-I-N-D-N-O-D-E on the App Store. Thanks to MindNode for sponsoring the show. Yeah, last week we discussed what it means to be a home hub, Mayo, but what does it mean to be a home architecture? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know. This story is like, this yeah. is kind of wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll do a little recap here. We ran, yes. we ran this story after WWDC about the iPad no longer being a home hub on iOS 16 because that's what it said on Apple.com. Um, it was later seen in in um, like iOS 16 code that that was the case, and so there were follow up stories from others. But you know, we felt like we just covered it <laughs> from the first one. Well, uh, uh, this week the the Verge received a comment from apple uh, about just exactly what's going on with the ipad not being a, a home hub on ios 16 and we spoke about this on a previous episode right i think like last week yeah <laughs> yeah maybe it was either last week or the week before and i basically said like 
yeah, it kind of sucks. Yeah, I guess if you were depending on it, but it's almost saving <laughs> saving the people that were relying on it from themselves because the reliability of using an iPad as a home hub has never rivaled the like Apple TV or HomePod experience, which are like always plugged in. They didn't worry about being recharged. They're always connected to the network. And so it kind of made sense to me, even just like as a standalone thing, they could have done this in any year and been like, you know what, we're not going to, the iPad thing, that was a mistake. We'll just carry on. Yeah. Uh, we'll just slowly uh, get rid of this. And like you said, on Apple's website, still, if you go to the iOS 16 feature preview and you go to footnote 15, <laughs> it very clearly says, only Apple TV and HomePod are supported as home hubs, full stop. <laughs> so the Verge article kind of phrased it like it that this idea had only been generated from looking at code references but i think it's pretty clear that the apple's own website copy was you know i guess misleading if not inaccurate (laughs) sure yeah so the the, the clarity that the verge got was quite confusing uh can you explain it i can try so (laughs) the apple gave them a statement from the statement to the verge that says ios 16 and ipad os 16 will continue to support ipad as a home hub with no loss in functionality. Alongside these releases, the Home app will introduce a new architecture for an even more efficient and reliable experience. Because iPad will not be supported as a Home Hub with the new architecture, users who rely on iPad for that purpose do not need to update the Home architecture and can continue enjoying all existing features. So what they're saying is, if you don't care about getting anything new, you can carry on using the iPad as you always have done Mm -hmm. with the old HomeKit platform. I think architecture is a confusing word when you talk about home stuff because it sounds like, you know, like housing design. Sure, so like yes. The old, the old like platform system, as it works today across Apple TV, HomePod and iPad, they're not getting rid of that. In iPad 16, if you want to, you can carry on using your iPad as a home hub and it will just work on the like old deprecated platform. But at, not with iOS 16.0, but in an update to iOS 16, they're going to roll out this new architecture for HomeKit, but that will only be supported on Apple TVs and on HomePods. And the new architecture has a lot of benefits. So the probably headline feature is that you need the new architecture to do matter. So if you care about all the matter accessories that are supposedly coming out sometime soon, eventually, uh, you have to be on the new architecture. If you're on the old architecture, those accessories just won't show up, they won't do anything. And also, the new architecture... Apple even said this during the WWC presentation, will bring more performance and reliability improvements to HomeKit configurations, especially HomeKit homes that have a lot of accessories. So if you only have one or two, maybe you're not going to notice anything. But if you have like every room has HomeKit stuff in it, Apple says that with this new architecture system, you should be able to like tap on things in the Home app and it'd be way more responsive to respond. It will do what you want. You can talk to Siri. I think in the in the WWC presentation... They kind of phrased it so that it sounded like the performance improvements were a result of the redesign of the home app. So mm. like just the redesigned home app on the iOS would be rebuilt from the ground up to make interactions with HomeKit accessories more performant. But the reality is it's actually the result of this new architecture being rolled out, which will change the way that home hubs communicate with HomeKit and Matter accessories in the home. And the new system is more reliable and more performant. Uh, and there's a any other features in the future as well, probably going to be new architecture only. So Apple's spin is you can carry on using your iPad as a home hub with no loss in functionality, which is true, but you're not going to get anything new either. So don't do that. 
<laughs> yeah, so we're not going to say don't do it, but don't do it. Like, just get an iPad TV or a home home and do that instead. Uh, there was some interesting discussion about the fact that people thought oh you need an apple tv or a home pod because matter requires thread right or, or doesn't require thread. it works with thread and thread isn't available on ipad but thread also isn't available on the original home pod or the apple tv 4k first generation right because they updated it you know the second generation apple tv 4k added th- a thread radio in it that's the one with the update remote but the original apple tv 4k with the old black trackpad silver uh track siri remote does not have thread but or any any of those devices, including even the Apple TV HD, will be able to run on the new architecture. So the thread is not a requ- a thread radio in your home hub is not a requirement to use Matter, but you just need an Apple TV or a HomePod. So basically, I think Apple's trying to say you need something that's plugged into the wall all the time that can keep a constant communication with these accessories because all of the HomeKit thread stuff also generally has uh, Bluetooth in it as well as like a backup plan if you don't have the thread radio part crystal clear this 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 is no complexity here my favorite thing about this and it isn't exactly the same but it's that for this one thing they're willing to have it be kind of complicated and complex for um a home hub status for for an ipad but they're not willing to do that for the the, the stage manager feature so <laughs> yeah the stage the whole like we view stage manager as a full complete experience and we can't possibly pry out any individual features to, back, <laughs> to make them support is and then they have this, which is like, we have this completely separate system. But for the beginning, don't worry, we're going to support both. And then you can upgrade to the new one. Because that's the other thing about this is that just in an update to iOS 16, the new architecture doesn't just like start happening to you. You have to like opt into it. So there's going to be like UI in the home app that says, do you want to upgrade to the new HomeKit architecture? Yes or no? And if you continue on the old architecture, you also won't take advantage of any of the new features. If you do upgrade to the new architecture, though, Here's a catch they hadn't really explained before. All devices in your home have to also be updated to iOS 16 or later. Okay. Otherwise, they stop working. Yeah, no big deal. That's fine. Yeah. So if you have, I mean, if you happen to have like an iPhone 7 in the house that is not even going to get iOS 16, maybe that's a concern for you and you won't actually get the new home gear architecture. Uh, but yeah, so this is a very like multi-step transition thing that also happens to roll back into it the ipad actually being a home hub but only on the old architecture and then you have the new home architecture which supposedly make all your accessories like faster to respond and better for automation and stuff but that won't be in i16.0 it will be in a future update to i16 and when it is around you have to like explicitly say you want to transition to the new system in which case all of your accessories have to also be updated for it to actually continue working yeah so if, if you use an old ipad for you know a wall-mounted home controller or just around the house for like a guest home controller then it's that thing is possible then that you would have an old version an older ipad that maybe can't get ios 16 and then you could lose lose the function there but that's probably the most likely scenario well this this is all very exciting very very easy to understand and um Hopefully it really does mean, it really does mean that the home Yeah, I hope all the pain's worth it, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Hopefully the experience actually is just yeah, better. So Yeah, because I don't have terrible experience with home gear accessories, but I don't have a lot of them. I've only got like four or five. And I know it's quite a common meme if you have I've seen people who've got like three pages of home gear accessories mm-hmm. in their favorites and there's a lot more of like no response or slow to respond or doesn't work sometimes complaints from them. So the fact that Apple's explicitly called out like better performance for people with a lot of accessories is promising, but they're going to have to deliver. And 
there's no hands-on experience with the new architecture because it's not in the current betas. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish they wouldn't say new architecture because it just makes me think of like home renovation rather than... Like, yeah, yeah. It's also connected. Maybe new version of the framework. Yeah. I, uh, the thing is like HomeKit is like this amorphous thing and it's also now trying to merge with the matter standard stuff. So it is a bit confusing all around. They're probably handling it the best they can do. Although I think it would have been slightly more cleaner if they had just fully cut off the iPad, I guess. Yeah. But I, I guess it'd be unfair to like update and then what your setup as it works now stops working. So in terms of like consumer friendliness, this is probably the best path forward because like they say, you can update and continue to use your iPad as a home hub with no loss in functionality. So it's not disruptive. Whereas if updating to iOS 16 meant it's just stopped working, then there'd be some people that'd be holding off updating because they don't want to lose the features and they also don't want to buy stuff. So, yeah, I guess they made the best of a awkward situation, but it is confusing for sure. Yeah, but- uh, unlike like sales managers and the thing coming to uh, existing iPads, this this would have been removing something from existing iPads. Um, one thing, I, well, a couple of things for me, I guess, is that I, I wouldn't expect you to be able to stick on the old architecture for a very long time. Like <laughs> it seems like eventually they'll it'll just break at some point. Um, the other thing is when you think about home accessories, you know, uh, appliances, et cetera, you don't think about updating them as often as you would something that's software based, but they do have a software component to it. Um, and so over, like over the years of HomeKit, we've seen accessories update the hardware to add Bluetooth and to add thread. And is, 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 do you think that there's going to be, I don't know, is, is there, going to be new purchases involved with with this new architecture and with having a better experience the matter or what was uh, that? my understanding and again the details are not fully written out but yeah i think your existing humpy accessories just work better under okay. the new architecture because i think what's happening is the way that like HomeKit currently works is the the accessories are like the source of truth of whether they're like switched on or not if you're a light switch. And so then every time you go to, you ask a home hub, it then reaches out to the accessory and then it makes the change and then the accessory comes back to the home hub where I think the new architecture is going to be more centralized to the home hubs having the source of truth and then they just tell the accessories what to do. So that's why the whole thing can be a bit quicker to respond. That's my guess at what's going on here. And so that's why it doesn't require like all of your home key accessories to be updated to go to the new architecture. It's only the like iOS level gotcha. of the platform that but, matters. But neither of us are architects, so... No. Neither is architects, and <laughs> no one's been able to try out the new architecture at all yet, so yes. uh, we'll have to wait. And we don't even know if it's going to be 6.1, 6.2, whatever, uh, for for that actually to arrive. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, if they can make HomeKit better, good good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I wouldn't worry about the matter thing too much, because... Day to day, probably not going to be any different for you, apart from there'll be some slightly more accessories on the market that you can buy. But I wouldn't be like, I'd, be, I'm perfectly happy buying HomeKit stuff today. I wouldn't be worried about it getting like deprecated and stuff. It's not going to happen because, as we spoke about the show before, Matter is like HomeKit but open sourced. So the protocols are very, very similar. Apple still sells loads of HomeKit stuff. They're going to continue to sell loads of HomeKit stuff. Matter won't be like universally available in every product category for maybe ever because even the current Matter open standards do not cover all different domains of HomeKit accessories. So they're going to have to continue supporting that, even if, like you say, the old architecture goes away at some point in a couple of years or so. 
IPO this week is also sponsored by New Relic. As well as doing this podcast, I make apps. And if you're a software engineer, you'll relate to this. It's late at night, you're unwinding, and bing, 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 your phone is buzzing because something has gone wrong. The app isn't working, the server's down. Whatever it is, there's a mad scramble to try and work out what has gone wrong. Modern software is so complicated, and there are so many layers of the stack that could be at fault. What New Relic does is offer comprehensive and precise system monitoring so you can quickly hone in on the problem and fix it. You don't want to have to need to deploy the entire team late at night, message each other back and forth to try and debug the issue. So what New Relic does is it combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally have to buy separately, but it's instead in an all-in-one offering so engineering teams across the front end and the back end can see the entire software stack in one place. And that's why the dev and ops teams at companies like DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9pm call is just waiting to happen. So get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash happy hour. That's spelled N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash happy hour. One more time, newrelic.com slash happy hour. Thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the show. Now, Mio, I, I have an Apple Watch Series 7. Which Apple Watch do you have these days? I still have a Series 4. Series 4? Okay, yeah. you, don't have, you don't have Always On yet. I know. Your I iPhone know. could have Always On before your, your watch does. <laughs> it's probably the year to update, you know? Well, yeah, because this, this year's new watch might have low power mode. That's the new feature this year. Oh, wow. That's... Yeah, I, I will upgrade because of low power mode. Low power mode is... To be fair, I don't really care about low power mode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, like, yeah. I, there are, like... A lot of people out there like to point to the Apple Watch's battery life relative to, like, sports watches and say, oh, this is terrible, it can only last a day, sure. and then these sports watches can last five or six days. If you are using sport watches, then, yeah, that is a concern. I don't use the watch in that way. I put it on the char- I, I use it for a day, and I put it in charger at night. I'm not doing, like, marathons or multi-day excursions or, hi- or super long hikes away from chargers. So, for me, the Apple Watch is perfectly fine in terms of an all-day battery life scenario i put it on the charger at night and then i wear it again the next morning so low power mode for me is not a concern but there are def- there's definitely a segment of the market where people want extended battery life they just want a watch that can last two or three days instead of one because they're looking more from the side of the market that is comparing to sports watches that can last that long because obviously they do less like most of these sport watches you it's kind of an unfair comparison in one way because they're like you know black and white screens only or very limited functionality so there's a reason why they can last for three or four days or even a week compared to the apple watch is like one day of use but if you're going into a sports watch looking for the sports features and then you come to the apple watch and like the apple watch does do sporty features and fitness and workouts and stuff and running and track your track your steps but if it's not 100 percent specialized at that goal so therefore it falls down so if they can make an apple watch using a special mode or whatever that can last multiple days that will definitely attract a certain audience and maybe it's the audience that intersects very neatly with some with the people that want to buy an explorer edition apple watch i.e a more rugged version for hiking or extreme sports so i think there's a lot of synergy there but obviously what you're referencing is that mark german at bloomberg spoke about low power mode for the watch as like a rumored feature 
in like March or April when he was talking about WWC preview. Obviously, WWC came and went, and WatchOS 9 has no low power mode that we can see. And that feature sounds like something that would be just on each on each Apple Watch because it's turning off features. It's not um, doing anything beyond that. Just like there's low power mode on like every iOS device, and right. there's no real hardware association with it. Right, it's just, it you, just turn you, stuff off. Yeah. Right, you stop you stop fetching mail, and you stop you know listening for Siri, and lower the brightness, etc. But maybe it means something different on the Apple Watch. Maybe they don't call yeah, it low maybe, power mode. Maybe it's cleverer or more in depth, and maybe it requires working in concert with a processor that maybe can you know ramp down to a super low power state that can still run apps and stuff. So it's not as it's not as low power as Power Reserve, which only shows you the time in green font and doesn't even turn the screen on unless you click a button. But but more low power than how the Apple Watch would run for let's say the 90% of customers that are, that are happy with it lasting a day, maybe there's a, a special hardware reconfiguration that you can enable that means that it doesn't maybe doesn't perform as fast or doesn't do these features but can last for three days, for instance. Yeah. Maybe multi, there is multi, hardware multi day, Yeah, multi-day mode. Let's call it that. That would be cool. Yeah, multi-day mode is probably a better, better summary than low-power mode, for sure. However, that kind of thesis... <laughs> you'd think would require a different processor, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. a, that requires stuff that would be different in the hardware. But the same Mark Gurman report also says that the Apple Watch chip for the Apple Watch Series 8, that's what we're on, right? This Apple mm-hmm. Watch Series 8 in the fall, will come with the S8 chip, but the S8 chip will have the same CPU and GPU characteristics as the Apple Watch Series 7, S7 chip, and if you remember in history, the S7 chip was also the same CPU and GPU as the Series 6 chip. So no CPU or GPU change for a third year in a row, according to Mark Gurman for the Apple Watch. Yeah, and, and that happened between the Series 4 and 5. Of course, the 5 did get the always-on display, and that was, I guess, a di- different hardware components for the display. Yeah, that was more attributed to like the display controller and the screen. Right, But the yeah. CPU was unchanged. Which yeah. is probably why they called it a new chip. But, you know, and maybe because yeah, the the Apple Watch chip has a lot of stuff inside it. It's not yeah. just a CPU and a GPU, right? Right, but, right. But from the outside, when you're looking at raw performance, that's what people hone in on. Yeah, right. For 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 a C, for a chip, um, but but even with the I, mean, I think with the Apple Watch, I don't think performance is a big focus. It's more just features, what all it can do, how long it can last, and so um, yeah, maybe there's maybe there's some clever controller in this that can um, extend your battery life beyond the. The, the default that you get so maybe it's the same cpu and gpu but manufactured on a smaller fabrication node at tsmc and that is more higher efficiency and so you get better you get um longer battery life maybe yeah or maybe something's just confused in the room mill here maybe it literally is low power mode as we know it on the iphone and ipad and mac and it literally is limited to new hardware. And they just limited to new hardware for the sake of it. <laughs> yeah. What if the Apple Watch Series 8 has a completely separate CPU that is the low-power CPU? Yeah. And yeah. so it has the same CPU and GPU as Series 7 in normal mode, but when you turn low-power mode on, it uses a completely separate CPU. You got the co-processor. You know, the co-processor, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Apple Watch S8 chip, that's big news. But apparently not big news. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's especially like hardware. You know, we we the, the rumors are uh, a new version of the Apple Watch SE 
which it sounds like isn't an attempt to make it cheaper to make. It's it's to give it more features, you know, than than it has now. And then maybe the first generation SE goes down in price if it ticks around. Don't know about that yet. S8 doesn't sound like a major change from from the current Apple Watch. Temp- uh, temperature sensor kind of stuff. Hopefully, yeah. That's, hopefully. That's, that's been around for a little while, but yeah, you know, as, as a rumor, but hopefully this year. Um, and then, of course, like you mentioned, the the Explorer edition, the rugged edition. That that um, I think that'll be the the most flashy thing this year. But um, yeah, this <laughs> it just struck me in the way that it was positioned in the newsletter and recommendations letter as um, low power mode that I've been reporting on could be hardware specific. Like, well, that's the that's the, but the hardware isn't changing. <laughs> yeah, that's that that's the acknowledgement that it didn't happen. So okay. The other thing is the S8 chip is also said to be showing up in a different product. Yes. This is the more exciting one. Yeah. A new HomePod. Yeah. The new HomePod thing has been taking some turns, which I like. Uh, Wasn't Quo first with the, Mm -hmm. with the story of a new HomePod this year. And I just immediately thought that meant bigger HomePod because HomePod mini is fine. And, and he sort of said, well, you know, it wasn't so specific. It could be a, um, you know, a new rev, new rev of the HomePod Mini, and then we had code references that we reported on that. And suggest- then quoted another tweet that was <laughs> saying it, he believes it's a big version of the big HomePod. Yeah, so all of that before, and then this is Mark's first report about about big HomePod as well. Um, and I guess his addition here mainly is that he doesn't think it'll be this year, but but next year, which okay, fine. Yeah, like um, spring or something. Yeah, but then he's also got some reporting about um the chip inside i think you know he he mentions yes that he believes it'll be closer in size and audio performance to the first first generation home pod which aligns with um you know what what code said and what we sort of reported but um the s8 chip yeah r- running the the new home pod on the apple watch s8 chip uh it would sound very weird but the home pod mini uses the s4 chip from the apple watch series 4 so um, i think i think they call it the s5 chip it uh, for whatever, like the, I think if you go on Apple's website, it says HomePod Mini uses the S5 chip, <laughs> which is the S4, which is the <laughs> S4 chip. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just to be hundred percent pedantic. Yeah. So I say it is the next generation from that, and and because uh, it could be because it's not the it's not the the five or four. It's and the S8 chip, seven. assuming it does have the same CPU as the Series Seven, Series Six, it's only uh-huh. slightly faster than the Series Five and the HomePod Mini chip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not, not a big deal there. Um, uh, the thing on on this. He reports that it will have an updated display, and that presumably refers to the the touch sensor on top, which has uh, room for lights to shine through for the Siri animation and lights to shine through for the plus and minus uh, volume uh, toggles. So updated display. uh, He says uh, some talk of multi-touch functionality. Yeah, and, and... you know, if you, if you if you go from just plus and minus or tap and long press, then um, you can imagine something more gesture based, which would be interesting. You certainly have a lot more room to play with that on the bigger HomePod than on the HomePod Mini. The HomePod Mini is just a tiny little touch panel. Uh, I would not think that this means like display and that you show apps or mm-hmm. an interface of some sort, but that it really is just you twist and increase the volume or you twist backwards and it goes down or you do, you know, a two finger tap or a two fingers swipe, you know, and you get different actions that way. Yeah, that would, that would, 
you know, that, that's all, you know, okay, but it's mostly a voice driven device anyway. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're expecting like an entire app, pl- app platform to blossom out of the top of the HomePod screen. No, right? no. That feels kind of excessive and, and, and unnecessary. And more expensive. <laughs> and more expensive, right? Yeah. Um, I will say the OG HomePods, that top surface is ginormous. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of feel comically big for something that only shows some rainbow lights as decorative animation. And then, you, like you said, you've got a plus and minus button for volume. So it definitely feels like a pretty big surface that could be better utilized. Not to the extent of like, you know, you had a funny tweet where you copy and pasted the Apple Watch home screen on the on the top <laughs> of the HomePod, right? Like, yes. I don't think that's going to happen. Me neither. <laughs> maybe it could be more like a display. Because I think, if, if, for instance, if you're running a timer on the HomePod, it would be nicer if instead of it being purely voice only, if while the timer was running, the top of the HomePod would like count down the seconds and show you a text label of the available timer. And maybe the circular like display around the outside can tick down like when you look at it on the Apple Watch timer app, right? Yeah, it has that little ring that goes down and runs out. Like that's not an all an all out like UI for apps. It's just like a, a status display of text and then a circle like indicator around the outside, like a progress bar. That would so, be pretty good for a kitchen counter too. You know, when you think mm-hmm. of a home pod up on a shelf or something, you're not going to see the display mate, you know, probably, but on a kitchen counter, glancing over and seeing, you know, maybe different color indicators for different timers that you've set, it'd be pretty useful. A utility there. And I know all of Apple's like market image for when they did sell the OG HomePod showed it on like shelves and stuff like out of reach. But I think practically most people do have it somewhere that is in eye shot that is in an eye line. So like I have mine on my desk, I can see the screen and and it, it, and just adding a screen with slightly more indicators on it doesn't mean that it's like becomes a mandatory part. So like you could not use it on a shelf if you wanted to, right? It's just if you do happen to have it on a table, on the side, you know, over there. You can just glance over. Even if it just lights up different colors depending on what's going on, that's a bit more of a better indicator because the current HomePod, it can light up green if you're on a call. Yes. Or it can light up rainbow colors when you're talking to Siri, and that's it. Like, yeah. you don't need... It, I mean, if you really want to go crazy, you'd probably have to move the display from the top to the side. If you were actually trying to make something closer to like an Amazon Echo show, right, where it is meant to be like a focal point with an actual screen on it, you wouldn't put the screen on that top surface still. It would be on like the side. So you, when you're across the room, you could still see it. Yeah. Amazon and even Sony had done a weird thing where that looks like a HomePod, but they they uh, have like a clock interface through the like projecting through the cloth sides of it. So they have it going through the cloth bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of, like, that maybe would be something Apple could do, but that the kind of stuff you'd see through the cloth, you'd just see on the top, if that makes sense. Like, it's not an all-out screen like a, a Amazon Echo show where you have, like, a basically a tablet with a speaker attached to it. It's just more of a subtle secondary, like, instrument cluster or gorge of or you know like gauge of what's going on yeah. on the actual device maybe it could show like i think it'd be kind of cool and i don't know if they're gonna do this either if it was like a proper screen on top and you're playing music maybe it could show the album art on the actual screen on top like again it's not meant to be a primary input but just as an accessory thing you can glance over oh look there's some cool album art playing over there and then you'd have the same buttons and maybe they could put a pause button directly as just a button on the screen that you could tap or untap because right now you can tap to pause and you can double tap to go to the next track and you can triple tap to go back but like it'd be a lot easier if there were just buttons on the on the quote screen for that to happen so and i don't think something like that makes it 
a super expensive product. In fact, I think the the current rainbow light thing is probably over-engineered if you're just thinking in terms of raw cost. Because if you look at the HomePod Mini, their light system is greatly simplified compared to what the OG HomePod does there. Um, And arguably doesn't look as pretty either, but uh, that's beside the point. Putting a very basic screen across that HomePod top, I don't think it costs them a lot of money. And they don't have to put like full capacitive touchscreen on there either it could be a few buttons and then maybe like you say a two-finger twist gesture or something that can activate volume or something else so i can see it i could equally see them doing nothing at all when it's shipping yeah. almost exactly as the og one was yeah how, how does the, the og homepod uh like color on the screen work because uh I, I just imagine it's like diffuse lighting from within yes so they have like a, uh, like a four by four grid of LEDs about 10 centimeters underneath the surface. Okay. And they're literally LEDs that they just light up colors, right? It's not like a LCD display. Right. And then there's like a, f- a frosted mist like cover over it. And then that's what you see through the plastic at the top. Right. Because you see, you know, color, whether it's a white home pod or a black home pod, and, and they'll have like the, the screens are color matched to the speaker. So. I wondered. No. That's a good OG on pod. We love that thing. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a it, it, it's a really cool effect when you do do it, but yeah. it can't show text, for instance, right? Like, right. Yeah. So, the plus a basic screen or... that could show some text would be welcome. I, you know, I, there are other people out there who want them to do like an Amazon Echo Show equivalent. Uh, I think you know that'd be a cool option, but I don't think I don't expect this HomePod version to be anywhere close to that. It would be like a basic readout display, if anything at all. That's yeah. that's how I kind of judge it. Yeah, and and then I guess you know we mentioned it before, but but this being a, a 2023 product, um, you know, as long, as long as it comes out, as long as they 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 deliver on this, I'll be happy. I'll, I mean, I'll all of what we just said is kind of irrelevant if it still comes out at the same price. Yeah, the price yeah. needs to come down. For it to have any difference in the market than the first well, one did, I, I you know I don't know. Whenever whenever it was just the big HomePod, we'd write all the time about look look what look what Amazon can do, look what Google can do with these very small versions of just they're just the the assistant in the box. Like it's you know, um, it's they're they're okay at music, but they're not meant they're not music first. They're like assistant first, and then they can also do music. Um, and that's a great way to interact with uh, you know, HomeKit. It's a great way to interact with like playing podcasts, you know, spoken audio that you don't really want to, you don't care if, it, if, if it's got uh, like great sound for, for an audio podcast. You, you just want to hear people talking and, you know, those, those things it's good for. Um, and and I don't, whenever the HomePod Mini came out, I don't think we're ever like, okay, well now they can just stop making the big one. And and so all that to say, like, if it, you know, I would not be, um I, I wouldn't be disappointed if they come out with this thing at 300 bucks, like the, like the final price of the big one the first time, uh, especially if, if behind the scenes, they're able to, to manufacture it for less money and they, you know, it, it makes them have more profit for $300 and they see it as a worthy product in, in you know, in the Apple size business, because there's the HomePod mini just, it helps so much with it, that being the, the mass product. And then this being specialized, um, but but hopefully they do it. Um, I also think it's very interesting that Mark has had reporting on like this future HomePod type thing with the screen that can move around. You know, we talked about 
and on the and, arm yeah. yeah on the arm and and then that's like off in the off in the future and then this is a much more near-term thing and you know we heard about it first from quo then we had some reporting about it and then mark had it this past week so it's just an interesting interesting thing in, in reporting yeah price wise 250 Somewhere between 200 to 250, I think, is a much better shot at being adopted. I, I just don't want it to be like, okay, it's a, it's, it's a third less and it's a third as good. Yeah, like if they can keep 95% of the quality or even 100% of the quality and bring the price down, that's that's the ideal. Because the HomePod Mini is fine for what it is, but it doesn't sound as good as the OG HomePod. It's not even close. Like For sure. I think, reasonably, they could make an even better sounding big HomePod and still make it cheaper, you know? Like, so... That's kind of where I'm hoping it lands at, and I would 100% prioritize audio quality over the screen situation. If if For the screen sure. is gonna, if it's like we're gonna keep the same, we're gonna have worse internal sound, but now we're gonna put a screen on top. Whoever's making that decision, I'd be like, no, just make the sound should be first because that's what separates the HomePod from the Echo from everything else. Like that's why even five years on from the HomePod being a thing, people still like we talk about it so fondly because. It's really hard to find other consumer audio equipment that, that that's that size that sounds as good as one HomePod or two HomePods in stereo pair do. That are you know that's small, compact, and is actually like a voice assistant. You, you can buy like you know super big desk speakers that are probably twice as large and don't have any like independent music capability, and they probably sound slightly better, right? But for what the HomePod is, uh, an independent standalone music streaming little thing that you can also airplay to from anywhere. It's it's still unrivaled because it sounds so good, and mm-hmm. I they they shouldn't destroy that part of it to just bring the price down. But and and also bring the price down. So, so sound first, but I would say even before that, I think we're about to touch stuff on top. Um, voice input I mean, stays as good because voice input on the on the original HomePod it's so good you can whisper like <laughs> you know across the room and it catches what you're saying. Um, and and the HomePod Mini isn't bad, but you don't get that level of like like it just feels like magic the way that the first HomePod would work with with you know how how good at detecting you it would be. Yeah, the um, first HomePod you could play music from the HomePod at like eighty five percent volume, which is really loud for that OG HomePod. And then just talk at normal speaking volume, or even whisper at normal speaking volume, and it would immediately hear you. Yeah, it might and not I, understand what you want because you know yeah. Siri problems, but it would definitely hear you. Yeah, and also with the first HomePod on just a single unit, eighty percent seemed like the peak that you'd want to comfortably listen to something, and then it had that twenty percent more if you want to crank it up. Um, and on the HomePod Mini, fifty percent to me is like. Okay, I can hear this. I can hear it. Like that's like the floor. So eighty percent was like the ceiling on the first HomePod, and on the Mini, fifty percent is like the floor for this. Is I can I can reasonably hear this, and maybe some of that is because I've listened to you know headphones too loud for too long. But that that's my experience at least. So yeah, I mean, I still use my OG HomePods, and they never go above fifty percent volume because practically speaking, that's loud enough for than being on the desk you know yeah like, yeah my automation for the first HomePod was to reset the volume down to like 20 or 30 uh, overnight so that i could talk to it and it wouldn't be yelling back at me and, yeah. and my, yeah, my autom- average volume i have it on is about 30 and then if i'm yeah. you know like focusing on the music rather than just being like background noise it's about 50 yeah yeah and my automation and, and, for the HomePod and going up to 100 is like insane like Yes. You, yeah. like the next door neighbors can easily hear it once it passes like 90. It's like, right. Yeah. That's, that's distance listening. Um, but my automation for the HomePod Mini, though, is to turn it up to 50 every night. The, because the, of- the OG HomePods were so 
had so much potential to annoy your neighbours that Apple went out of its way to add a reduce base option in the settings yeah. after it had been discontinued. After, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> oh, yeah, so come on, HomePod. Come to us in good form, good fashion. Now you've got all the, like... now Because when they reintroduce it, they'll be able to tout all the stuff that they added to it after it got discontinued or, like, or something yeah. discontinuing, like the... um home cinema mode for apple tv like the e yeah. yeah reduced base all the other stuff siri improvements they made in that time like they can have a load of new features for it <laughs> quote unquote too so yeah bring us a home pod about 250 dollars. fantastic job done can be your mac speakers that couldn't do that before and they've added the intercom thing right before it died a lot of good stuff also this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Collide. Collide sends important and timely security recommendations to your employees right inside of Slack. That means they get custom security advice and information as Slack alerts appropriate for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices. Get started by visiting collide.com slash happy hour and sign up today. And as a happy hour listener, you can get some free swag by signing up. So don't forget to enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to overstep and be so invasive that they lock down employee devices to the point of them being essentially unusable. So instead of frustrating the people working for you, Collide is an educational tool, teaching security and device management practices and directing them to fix important problems. This includes things like getting developers to set up passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys or teaching how to securely store two-factor authentication codes and not just write them down on a post-it note on the fridge. And also stuff like convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may be invading their privacy, slowing down their computer, and selling their browsing history to third parties. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. So get started at collide.com slash happy hour today. That's spelled K-O-L ide.com slash happy hour collide.com slash happy hour enter your email at that url to get a free swag goodie bag after signing up to a trial one more time collide.com slash happy hour thanks to collide for sponsoring the show all right the next thing from mark this week is also from his, his power on newsletter and it's about the uh next apple tv update now this one is interesting to me because the, I believe it was Quo with the first mention of, of an Apple TV revision this year. Now, we went a long time between the 4K and, and the, the second generation 4K. And then and now we're going to go from, from that, what was kind of a small update anyway, to this year's update. And the description from Quo was sort of, uh, they're going to try to improve the cost structure so that they can sell it, they can make it for less and then sell it for less. Um, and that's interesting Mark says that it's going to have a, a two-generation newer chip, though, and an extra memory inside. So does that does those two things work together? What do you think? And what are the details here? Yeah, so Mark says the chip is being upgraded to an A14. The current Apple TV 4K has an A12, and that will also come with it an additional gigabyte of RAM. I think that's amenable to improving cost structure. Like... The parts of the Apple TV that probably cost Apple the money are probably not the chip parts because the chip parts are just like the old iPhone chips, right? So they just cycle them out and reuse them and they go down the line. Okay. So I think they can, I think it's 
congruous that you can upgrade the chip and still improve cost structure. I mean, the the stupid thing about the the quote comment is that Apple doesn't need to improve the cost structure to make it cheaper. Like they clearly make plenty of money on that Apple TV as it is. They can make it cheaper. They can make the current exact hardware cheaper and still make plenty of money on it. Like just look at what it is. It's a plastic black box with a iPhone an old iPhone CPU inside and yeah. a remote. Like there's no, nothing no else to it. There's not yeah, no. there's not two hundred dollars worth of product there. They used to sell the iPod Touch with basically the same internals, plus you get like a battery, a screen, all this other bits and bobs. Camera. <laughs> a camera, yeah. Um and then you've got this like headless Apple TV for the same price, if not more expensive. So like the stuff that probably brings the price down is not the chip, I would not I like there's probably other st- if you want if you want to find like cost cutting measures there's probably other bits about the Apple TV, like the remote. They could probably make a cheaper remote, for instance, or the actual, like, the current Apple TV has this backwards compatibility for infrared. So, like, the entire uh, design of the park is translucent to infrared signal, but it's done in a way that makes it look seamless to the eye. Like, so it's really cool, but how many people these days are firing infrared signals at their Apple TV? Not many people. So if you wanted to save money... I would just do a boring plastic enclosure, not worry about having it being like transparent or radio transparent um, or, or infrared light transparent because that's a feature that not many people use. They just use the remote that comes with the Apple TV, which is over Bluetooth. So I think there's other parts of the Apple TV they could cheap out on. Maybe they stop including the power connector, for instance. You know, like they already don't come with a HDMI port. So if they want to find the cable, if they yeah. eke out yeah. price, that's a way to do it. They could also, and I think this would be a bad move, but they could ship an Apple TV without the remote and say yeah. you only control you, it with your iPhone. Or, or you buy a remote, right, yeah. Or, yeah, or you can buy a remote separately. I hope they don't go down that route because I think the remote is really useful and only controlling it via, like, your phone doesn't feel as good. And I, the iPhone remote app is good when you're in a pinch, but it doesn't compare to actually using the Apple if it, if it, if it If there were more TV remote standard that had voice input, like, you know, LG's Magic Wand does... Mm-hmm. And that worked with the Apple TV out of the box. That you know, that'd be more compelling. Yeah, it would be more likely like that'd be a better strategy. But that's not the reality, right? Yeah. And if you look at the remote, I feel like the the revision remote, the current one, like the slab of metal. Surely that has improved cost structure compared to the original Siri remote, which was a lot more slender, was like a tightly fused sandwich of glass and aluminium, whereas this one's just like a big breeze block of metal. Uh, no accelerometer inside, and no accelerometer inside, no gyroscope inside. So surely they must have found like some price advantage margin in there. And if you really wanted to make a cheaper Apple TV, you could make the remote out of plastic, right? Like, don't scrap the remote altogether. Just make it out of plastic or not metal, because the metal probably cost them a bit more money. Again, I don't think they need to do any of these things to actually bring the price down. But if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do. <laughs> How low could you? How how low of storage could you use to run an Apple TV and like six video apps with strictly streaming and no caching, and you don't care about the the, the having the more than one screen? Yeah. Well, or more than one screensaver? Yeah, <laughs> like I think you look at the again. I'm, I've said this before on the show, but I'm going to say it one more time because it's too infuriating. Apple TV HD, one hundred and forty nine dollars, the same price 
that it was when they released it in 2015. Still on sale for the exact same time. Almost 10 years, almost. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was like seven years, isn't it? Eight years. Yeah, yeah, coming up on 10. So you can't tell me that the Apple TV HD still costs them the same to make than it did seven years ago. <laughs> and they, But they still sell it for the same price. They, and then the Apple TV 4K starts at 179 plus you have the extra $20 upgrade if you want the 64 gigs of storage model for whatever reason. You can't tell me that that, like the 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 component, like let's say there's seventy, there's twenty dollars difference in the price in the component upgrades in the four K versus the Apple TV HD, right? Just assume twenty dollars. You can't tell me that the one forty nine Apple TV is still worth one forty nine. So if that went down, like let's say it's halved in seven years, that doesn't seem unreasonable, right? Half of one forty nine is seventy five. Add on your twenty dollar price upgrade to get the Apple TV 4K features. What price are you at? Oh, look, you're right around ninety nine dollars. I I feel like it should be ninety nine dollars the Apple TV 4K. So, and it doesn't seem outrageous for it to get there or close. You know, one twenty nine. I take it. You know, like they do a HomePod Mini for ninety nine dollars, and I don't think the HomePod Mini is that different to an Apple TV in terms of components. It sounds better than Apple TV. But you know what I mean, right? Like it still has <laughs> yes. a processor inside it and all that and all that jazz. Like, where's the cost difference between the Apple TV and the, and the HomePod Mini apart from one comes with the remote? And the remote's not. I know Apple sells a remote online for like sixty dollars each, but it doesn't cost them sixty dollars to make that. So, like, you just compare the other home product that Apple sells. It's like the HomePod Mini is ninety nine dollars, and you get quite a lot of product there. Apple TV one seventy nine starting price for the four K Apple TV is, is outrageous, absolutely outrageous. So I hope it is cheaper and the Mark Gurman report that it's getting a chip upgrade is great because I think they can deliver a chip upgrade and still make it cheaper. So I don't see this and be like recoiling in fear that they're doing the wrong thing. They could easily do both of these things. Okay. Hey, you know something totally separate from all this, but when they did the Apple TV 4K, there was the just the very they had the very nice agreement in place where if you had purchased movies from iTunes and the studio was, you know, in, in agreement with Apple. They would just be 4K when you stream them. Mini, you know, you, you get like a free again. upgrade to the 4K version. Yeah, yeah. And the and the limit there is it's only streaming, not downloading. So you 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 can download offline 1080p, but you can't download offline uh, 4K. And that's that's still the case. It's kind of kind of weird that that you know you can you can make a purchase, and they won't sell you a 4K downloadable file. And of course, you know, the reality is so much is going to streaming anyway. And if you're looking at, if you, if you really care about like 4K, then maybe, maybe you're looking at Blu-ray disc or something. But um, it, just, it just struck me as something interesting that, that they, because it felt like a very generous stopgap solution, you know, for, for the moment, but it didn't feel like that was the way it would be forever. But it seems like at this rate, that's the way it's going to be forever is that you just can't download 4K. You can only stream it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've kind of forgotten about that because yeah, because even if you like buy brand new the movie yeah. in 4K, you can't download it anything but 1080p. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I was partly thinking about that too because you know if they had a more fair uh, price arrangement for the Apple TV models, you can imagine an HD version, sure, because not everyone has a 4K TV. Fine, maybe you make a hundred bucks. Okay, uh, have, have a 4K version, you know, with between. I would say have a 4K version with 64 gigabytes for 150. 
more fair than it, than it is today. Mm-hmm. And then say for $200, you can have a 128 gigabyte version. And the benefit there would be not only could you have access to games without worrying about offloading, but you could, you know, I was thinking then too, you know, you could have your, your movie library local so that you could watch it even without internet access. Uh, but then I, then I thought about it and I was like, well, you can't download 4K though. And, and 4K and- movies are still pretty big. Like the problem with the, the, because obviously right now the Apple TV doesn't have any offline downloading of movies right you can't even download them to any piece of the apple tv if you wanted to but let's say you've got that that hypothetical 128 gig model a 4k movie download is going to be like five gigs you're not going to fit many movies on that local storage you know like so i don't know how appealing that is as a feature you really need like a 500 gig internal drive to like make yeah. that sing and it doesn't seem like apple's gonna be that ambitious with the apple tv at all so that seems way out of the picture like with just 128 storage downloading 4k you're not gonna have much space over you're not gonna be able you get like 20 films <laughs> like you're not really downloading your whole library let's put it that way you know they should do the whole range like they do on the iphone and have a terabyte or the ipad and have, have, a, terabyte. have a two terabyte have a tv <laughs> yeah i mean that goes back to the original apple tv model idea where you had a spinning hard drive inside and everything was downloading you know well, well the original apple tv it was a 40 gig internal hard drive and it would download it would it would be like a a companion to your like iTunes library stored on a hard drive on a computer in another room. So like yeah, it would like and you wouldn't be able to stream. So it would it, you'd be like I want to watch this movie. So it would then like copy across your network the movie Basically to the internal over, yeah. forty gig storage, let you watch the film, and then like after a f- while, if the storage fed up, it would just delete the old stuff. So it was like yeah. a temporary like middleman cache situation. Yeah, yeah. which I guess the Apple TV could do maybe like in a pinch if your internet went out and you still want to film there's something there but that feels oh, they, they do have the you know you can't delete the home sharing orange icon you know on apple tv yeah like that yeah. but obviously that's like such a weird ed cash apple would never bother with it yeah yeah all right finally this week happy hour is brought to you by linkedin it's summer and the weather's great. The sun is out and even better, small businesses are back in business. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people that you want to interview faster and for free. You can create a free job post in just minutes using LinkedIn Jobs and your post will reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. And when you add your job post, you can add the job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more, to signal that you are hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. LinkedIn Jobs also has simple tools like screening questions to make it easy to focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for. So you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, next, we will discuss 5G. 5G. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of years ago or so at this at this point, uh, maybe a few years ago, Apple bought 
Intel's 2019. Like, 2019, yeah, wow, time flies. Apple bought Intel's 5G chip manufacturing effort, which uh, didn't go well. I think they were always subperformant to, to Qualcomm 5G chips and um well yeah you kind of for the history lesson you kind of have to go back a bit further so okay okay where are we going well you remember apple and qualcomm fell out right yeah yeah Yeah. so right around 2013 2014 apple and qualcomm uh waged legal war on each other because apple said that qualcomm was unfairly charging high royalty rates oh yeah for the patents and at that time it was about 4g patents right but obviously 5g was in the in the headlights and that's what they're looking towards so apple started a big lawsuit against qualcomm and in the interim period they started adopting intel 4g modems and for a while they would have like iphones like i think the iphone 7 like half of them used a qualcomm modem and half of them used an intel modem and that was like a gate in itself because the qualcomm modem performed better and you got slightly more battery life you had a qualcomm iphone rather than intel iphone and then eventually i think for the iphone 8 generation and they were all Intel modems, but again, this is 4G. And 5G was coming up for the iPhone 12, and Apple's original plan was to use Intel modems for their 5G transition. However, around 2018, 2019, it became obvious to Apple that Intel was not going to meet its goal. Their 5G modems were not high quality enough. They were not going to be producing the volumes at the right yields with the correct quality control that Apple needed for the scale of the iPhone. So that kind of forced their hand and they had to settle the lawsuit with Qualcomm, which if Intel had been a competitive alternative, they probably would have taken to court. I mean, they literally were on the first day of trial hearings and this is when the settlement came in. So like mm. Apple took it to the wire, you know, like they realized they got, they took it to the last possible moment where they would have had to basically concede and give Qualcomm what they wanted or at least come to some sort of agreement, right? Their original plan was 100%. We're going Intel only until we can make our own. And but yeah. Intel did not deliver their side of the story, so Apple had to settle with Qualcomm in 2019. And as part of that settlement, they agreed like a eight-year li- chip licensing deal and their supply deal for many years too. Um, so that's like the real history, because ideally, yeah. in the good timeline of Apple's v- viewpoint, they wouldn't be using Qualcomm chips at all today. But they couldn't because Intel kind of didn't deliver. So. They switched back to Qualcomm chips for the iPhone 12. Um, Intel had no other buyers for its modems apart from Apple. <laughs> like Apple's propping <laughs> up its entire business. So Intel had no choice but to sell its modem division. And Apple bought all the engineering talent to bolster its own indiv- internal chip efforts, which are very widely known. And I think Apple's, um, Johnny Saruji has even said this like openly, Apple is developing a 5G modem of its own design. And they want to use it in the iPhone to replace the Qualcomm modems. Now, assuming they can actually succeed at this and make a competitive chip and be able to ship it in iPhones in volume, and like even if they're buying no Qualcomm chips anymore, they would still have to give some money to Qualcomm because Qualcomm owns like standard essential patents around 5G, and you can't like make a 5G modem without infringing on the standards in some degree because you know the standards are actually what communicate to the network. So. Qualcomm's going to get paid, but it wouldn't be at the same level that they get paid now, where they get healthy profits out of selling an, a Qualcomm chip in every phone. So that helps Apple's margins, which is a big reason why they're investing this. But also, there are consumer benefits because if Apple can design a modem, it can then integrate that modem with the A series chips and basically do it all on one board, which will give you uh, better efficiency, which means longer battery life and maybe even higher performance long term. 
So that's if they can pull it off. Yeah. The original rumor was that the iPhone 15, i.e. the 2023 full iPhone, was going to be the first iPhone to ship with an Apple design modem inside. Quo this week says that Apple has failed to achieve that. And the 2023 iPhone series will continue to use Qualcomm modems. Mm, so, not, it, so not just this fall's iPhone 14, but next year's iPhone next 15. Next year's, yeah. This which year is the one where we, Qualcomm still, yeah. Yeah, which is the one we think will have USB-C, right, next year. So. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you believe the original rumor timeline, Apple's missed it. It doesn't say that Apple's given up altogether. And they're not no. like, they're, you know, it's not like they're going, oh, well, we, we've completely failed. We're not making our own <laughs> modem. I guess we're going to be bound to Qualcomm chips forever. No, they're obviously still working on it. They have, I mean, they they paid a billion dollars to acquire the Intel modem team. It would be a massive, colossal failure if they couldn't ever sort this out. And because it was like the Intel chip division, modem division, plus all of Apple's own engineering talent. Like, there's like a thousand people just working on 5G modems, including uh other cities like chicago and some other cities too like it's not just in the uh, cupertino office there's like huge investment in making a 5g modem and you can see why because a it's going to reduce apple's um costs per unit of the iphone and b you've seen them have such massive success with apple silicon making their own chips market leading on the iphone now market leading on the mac right like if they can do that but for the modem side they'll get huge benefits but making modems is very complicated it's hard and even Apple, with all of its might, has not been able to do it quite yet. For 2023, they're not, according to, if you believe Quo, they're not going to be ready. Maybe they'll be ready the year after. Or, or maybe they might be ready next year, but not for something as important and as high volume as an iPhone. Maybe it would appear, and this is just me speculating, maybe they could still deliver it next year in like an iPad Pro or something, you know, to like test the waters out, kind of. And so if there is a big problem, it doesn't matter so much. If they don't have the yields they need, it doesn't matter so much. So I think there's a future where maybe we do see an Apple modem next year, but it, it's not going to be in the iPhone 15 because the iPhone 15 is obviously way too important for them to risk anything. So if they're not ready for that, they're not going to do it at all. I, I know some low-volume products, like, like certain Mac models, and um, that would be very cool. <laughs> uh, Apple Watch, they could, they could do that. But, no, 5G comes with the Apple Watch this fall. That's why they're going to have low-power mode. <laughs> Hardware only because it's going to eat your battery. But. <laughs> Oh well, like, like this is such a funny story because it's it's gonna it's gonna be a decade by the time Apple's modems actually come out in the iPhone, like that the the lawsuit kicked off because the lawsuit was right. like around 2014. So if you're looking even like realistically, it's gonna be 10 years between that beginning and Apple actually shipping its own modem. So these things take a very long time to come to fruition. Timeline, timelines are hard, I guess. Yeah, I mean, look at look at Apple Silicon, right? Like Apple bought PA Semi in 2008. They did, they released the Apple A4 chip with the first iPad in 2010, and that was basically just like an ARM reference design. It didn't. It took them until like the iPhone 5s in 2013 mm-hmm. to actually have a chip that was of Apple's own design. And then yeah. obviously look at the Mac. It took them until 2020 to actually bring Apple Silicon to the Mac. So these things have very long arcs. But the the good news for Apple is they have a lot of money that they can support their investment over the time that it takes to come to market. Yeah, if they weren't making TV shows, they'd be they'd be done by now. That's, <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, <laughs> I th- I think is you know, uh, you assume assume an Apple car would have some kind of a cellular connection, right? You know, right? yeah, cars yeah. cars do these days. So yeah. maybe they want to put Qualcomm in that, you know, put Apple inside that. So, that's interesting. 
Uh, lastly, this week we have uh, another look at, at an AirPods 2, uh, AirPods Pro 2 case. And um, th- this came from a site that had published like the actual AirPods 3 design uh, just just a small period before they were released. Yeah, a couple released. of months, yeah. Yeah, and these were like actual, you know, earbuds. They look like a, a big batch of actual earbuds. This case thing, it looks more like um, just like design files to me, like marketing images. Um, but but what's interesting about it is, I guess they got a hold of it, and Mac members had had this thing like several months ago, and I'm not sure that we touched it because it just looks so weird. <laughs> you know? uh, but it seems to be what's going to happen. Um, how, how would you describe this thing? Yeah, so I guess the case is the same as the AirPods 3 case, but it has speaker holes in the bottom. It has this like thing that almost looks like a carabiner uh, clip holder on the right-hand side. And 52 Audio says the port in the bottom is a USB-C port. From these pictures, I don't think you can say that definitively. Like, yeah. like the connector side of... Like the port side of Lightning USB-C look very similar, so you can't like so unless they. It's not the problem is the fifty-two audio like article is obviously like translated from the native language of like Korean or something, so it's not hundred percent obvious whether they're speculating based on what they see in the images they've got, or if they have like information of like a feature set in addition to the images. So I wouldn't like take the USB-C thing for for sure on this but the speaker holes in the bottom the weird thing on the side match up with the mac rumors uh, leak so they seem to be happening and the if you the 52 audio story obviously says that the speaker holes on the bottom are for find my support which makes sense so the case itself will be able to beep which is nice because right now if you have your airpods inside the case they don't make any noise if you try and locate them because they're, they're like muffled by the inside of the case, and, so, uh, and if you lost your case, you can't make it play a sound like you can in AirPods. Yep, and so they made it. They made like the whole family experience slightly better with uh, AirPods Pro and AirPods Three, but these will be like the case will be able to be a standalone accessory in the Find My app that will be able to be individually targeted, made to play a sound, able to be located and stuff, which is nice. And then the the carabiner clip on the side isn't a carabiner clip at all it's not even a clip which is what i thought it was when i saw the mac rumor story uh 52 audio says they are microphone holes and it will enable like a hearing aid experience kind so you you know live listen which is that thing they rolled out on airpods a few years ago where you can like put your phone on the other side of the room and then in your airpods you can hear through the microphone yeah or, or put it on the table in front of you and, and your airpods pick up the sound so that if you're you have low hearing then it amplifies right right like the person right in front of you so, yes so yeah, yeah according to 52 audio rather than having to put your phone on the table you just be able to put your airpods case on the table the case will be the microphone and then relay that to the airpods in your ears huh <laughs> feels like a somewhat esoteric feature i guess but kind yeah of cool kind of a lateral time. move yeah, kind of just a sidestep versus an improvement, I think. Yeah, so it's it's not something you'd like guess Apple's going to do, but what's what's the UI for that? Like you just you I know, guess when you go in the the live listen thing, you control that, you can just pick like the AirPods case as the as the microphone input, I don't know. It's like Okay. That'd be my guess, but I, I, it's a very weird thing for them to like explicitly carve out as a feature. Like the iPhone already had a microphone in it, obviously, so that's how they made it work. Yeah. But 
to be like, we're going to go out of our way to add a microphone to the AirPods case to make this happen. Maybe there's a lot of people that actually use it and take advantage of it, in which case, great. But I, I mean, sure. I haven't used Live Listen ever, but I'd also have decent hearing, so I'm not really the market, you know. And 50 Audio says that the earbuds will be completely unchanged design-wise from the AirPods Pro 2, uh, but they will incorporate a temperature sensor this is we've heard it on and off about these like health sensor rumors coming to the AirPods. This, this is this is where you lose. This is where you lose me though. Like you know, I'm I'm with you on the USB C. Probably is lightning. I mean, especially because I think Quo had said that before, and that seems likely. The the sensor stuff, it's been like patented and rumored even as like reported, but I don't know. Don't you think if you looked at the the renders, there'd be like something different about them that would make it look like a sensor? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I they, they obviously, they obviously have the sensors that you know it knows if if you're in contact with skin or not. You take it out, it quits playing. Um, just basic, you know, like the iPhone has for whenever the screen goes off when you're on a phone call. Um, so those that, that seems fair. The the case, you know, the case changed because we've seen it in two different places now, and a and a big stretch of time between the two things you know it very well could be like this is from the same place as the macrumers case was a long time ago you know and you know don't know one way or the other um but i but the center stuff i i, I you know the center stuff is like so they haven't done temperature on the watch yet and that's probably going to be the flagship feature for the watch this year are they really going to put it on the airpods pro as well and if they couldn't figure it out on the watch until now do they really have it ready for the airpods as well and i mean there's also been others like sport features for airpods that have been rumored for a while um like heartbeat detection and there were you know back when airpods were brand new there was this one other company that was doing truly wireless earbuds and they they did all the things that were rumored for airpods eventually they did heart rate detection um but i'm pretty sure it was like very like it wasn't very reliable and it was power hungry in a way that you know of course it would be so all, all of that, like taking taking things from the Apple Watch and putting it in the AirPods, seems like a really quick way to kill your AirPods battery. Yeah, <laughs> you just like, like you, you get all day heart rate tracking from the Apple Watch. You get four to five hours of music playback on AirPods. You know, if it's just for a single workout, you know, I guess it's cool. But uh, I, I, those things, I'm just super skeptical about. Yeah, those, I don't think things. heart rate is going to be practical because of the battery life thing that you said. Maybe body temperature is like less power consuming and they could just like do it like apple could do it once every 10 minutes or once every hour or something and just give you like a chart or maybe it's even less specific than that and it's like the um like the samsung thing about the blood pressure where it's like yeah over time we've noticed your temperature is higher than it was when you you know than average or whatever so you get like a very approximate reading and it's not like specific temperature or something um i don't know how much body temperature uses battery life wise but heart rate definitely uses a lot and there's no way the battery in the earbuds can support that so i'm definitely very skeptical of the heart rate maybe they could do body temperature at at any point these things these features that they'd want to move from the watch to somewhere else you, you could you can imagine those being better for like ar glasses in the future when they move beyond the the vr headset stage um, but yeah, so so my expectations are you have AirPods Pro two. They look exactly the same. They support they support the new um, the new Bluetooth codec where you get higher quality audio, maybe yep. even up to loss. You know, some version of lossless streaming because there are different levels of lossless, which is interesting. Um, and that you get 
find my, and maybe you get live listening, but uh, th- that's what I would expect. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect USB-C yet. And I wouldn't expect the temperature sensor even then, you know, if I'm wrong on either of those things, that's, that's good, I guess, but um, just kind of, those are my expectations. No, I think that's very sensible for sure. What, what AirPods do you have? AirPods 3? I have AirPods 2. AirPods 2, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't really like the in-ear feel. Yeah. Have you tried AirPods 3 before? I have tried AirPods 3, and I also don't like their design quite as much as the AirPods 2 in terms of in-ear fit. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when my AirPods 2 die, I guess I'll have to get AirPods 3 and just live with it, but <laughs> the in the the fit inside the ear does not feel as good as the AirPod as the second-gen AirPods. I don't 100% know why. I think it's cuz like the stubby bit of the earbud is like a bit bigger on the AirPods 3 and AirPods Pro. Whereas yeah. on the second gen and the first gen AirPods, like it's more like a lollipop, and the end of the lollipop is a lot smaller, so they can just kind of like hang on the bottom of your ear. Whereas the AirPods Three design feels like it's trying to fill your ear more. And I've found in my again, I don't own them, but I've borrowed some, and I find that they felt less secure in my ear compared to the AirPods I currently have. And the people, and yeah. my brother, who's the person who actually has the AirPods Three, and he used to have AirPods First Generation. He says that the AirPods Three fall out more of his ears. I, I I owned a pair for a few weeks, and they they would. I, I use AirPods Pro, which you know Air, AirPods fit my ears just fine. I, and I was skeptical until they came out, and they, they did. They say they're just fine. They're comfortable. Um, Air, AirPods Pro I like better because you can you know there's three different uh, like the silicon cover sizes that adapt. You know you pick the best one for your ear. And then AirPods three, I thought, and this is interesting, you know, they're the lower cost and everything, you know, just, if you just want earbuds. Um, and, and I would, I guess my, my ear sizes are pretty different on either side. And so the one on the left would just fall out when I would just be like sitting in bed, looking at a computer screen or something. So um, I'm, I'm, Air, I, I, I couldn't go back from AirPods pro because of the, the choice and, in, in like size of the tips. So. Yep. Uh, one last thing for this week. The price of the iPhone in Japan has just gone up. Oh, <laughs> so that's all I have on that. The <laughs> price of the iPhone in Japan has gone up. Inflation so. is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. That is the happy hour podcast for this week. If you enjoyed the show, we appreciate everybody who subscribes to our uh, ad free version in Apple podcast for four ninety nine per month or forty nine ninety nine per year. You get just us talking without any uh, sponsors, and the price of that has not gone up. It's not not yet, but no promises. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and <laughs> if you listen to the uh, ad supported version, we appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors. That's what keeps this podcast going. And uh, if you have any feedback, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at nine to five mac dot com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Apollo Zach. That's A P O L L O Z A C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZA Mayo. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.